the I Make a Difference podcast, an adventure of exploration of your human self, the conditioned and unhealed parts of you, and your true self, the natural, real and powerful you, a pathway where you unravel, heal and uncover on your journey back to you. When I experience interactions and communication where there's a pattern that I find which is limiting, which is frustrating, which is time-wasting, where the words are not direct and succinct, where a lot of energy is taken up trying to get clear around the misunderstanding that's gone on and what people are actually saying, where a lot of airspace is taken up and it's almost like an emotional power battle that goes on where there's levels of resistance, non-receptivity and I don't enjoy, as I'm sure you don't, those types of patterns of interaction. In fact, they frustrate the hell out of me and then sometimes I just give up because it's just too hard. Yet, I am a person who's absolutely committed to finding and seeing any area of my life, any aspect of myself, which is limiting, restrictive, suppressive, protective, and being able to know that those are opportunities for me to be able to grow, evolve, and most importantly, do things differently so that it's more free-flowing in energy, where there's more connection to my soul self, where things are far more simplistic than the complexity that we make things to be. I'm your host, Melinda Cates, and this is the I Make a Difference podcast. And specifically with this episode, it is part two, leading on from last week's episode, of the limiting relationship patterns of communication for unravelling. Where we've become familiar and accustomed with communication patterns and interactions that are not beneficial, that are not mutual exchanges of energy and understanding that is free-flowing. Now, some people may say, well, why don't you just let it go? Why don't you just accept that's how that person is? Don't you know what they actually mean? And for me, that saying, we deserve things to be harder than what they are. We deserve not to have ease and simplicity in our communication. I'm not here to change anybody else. Completely your life, what you do and the choices you make. And the same with the people who are in my life. And it's my choice around how I interact and how I communicate with you. And in some cases, whether I communicate with you. Because as you grow and evolve, yes, you become more accepting of people and where they're at. But you're more conscious of what is right for you. What is fluid and easy for you. And you know you deserve that. And the value in exploring these patterns of interactions is not just so you can unravel them. 
but the benefits you will gain and the people that are receptive to you who are also wanting to do things differently and to grow and evolve, you have a chance to have interactions and communication where there is ease, simplicity, expansiveness, where you're both able to hear what each other's saying and to truly get to the meaning and the depth and the understanding through it being direct, open, and people being receptive to you, and you to them, where there is connection and understanding. And that's exciting, because no more time wasting, no more beating around the bush, and let's get to the truth. Also, these patterns of communication are filled with emotion, are filled with personal issues and processing going on inside of each individual where they're not taking responsibility for them. They're not facing those particular issues. They're not exploring them. They're not owning them. Or if they are owning them, they're only owning part of it. And then as we will explore in a number of cases, they come out and they justify and they deflect and they brush it off. That is you not taking responsibility for yourself. And how can you be connected to your soul self and be working towards strengthening that connection and expressing more of your soul self if you're not owning and taking responsibility for yourself and being accountable to yourself? And what that means is you own and honor what your issue is, what your learning is, what you can do differently. And you put that into action. In last week's episode, I shared nine key patterns I had identified in my relationships which were limiting my communication with other people. And I actually gave those interactions titles or names based on what the process was that I was experiencing. And please note what I do share in this it's not just what other people have done to me. I know I have also actually initiated a lot of these patterns myself. I can remember many examples where I've also done exactly the same things that I've experienced. I've done them to other people. And part of why I've been able to get to a stage of seeing it more in other people is because I saw it in myself. I'm taking the steps to not only unravel where I do it to others, but also unravel my reaction to when other people do it to me. And I look at what can we do differently? What is the process that's happening here? What is happening for both individuals? What are some different approaches we can take? And how can we address our own issues in this? The nine patterns that I shared last week, which we covered five of them at that stage, was the pushback, the shut me down, the take it away from me, the project and impose, and the last one we did in last week's one was the unappreciated, or otherwise known as the taken for granted. There were four more, but as I said, potentially during the week there was going to be others that arose, and certainly there was one significant one that stood out to me, one that I know I've done myself many times and I've come across many people who have done this to me. 
the limiting relationship patterns of communication for unraveling that we're going to explore in today's episode are number six, the turn it on its head, number seven, the turn it around, and essentially that's when people then blame you for what they're actually guilty for. Number eight is the I am irrelevant. Number nine is the hello, hello. And the I am irrelevant and hello one are similar in their process, but they're for different reasons. And what's happening for the person is different processes. But we'll get clear on that as we go through it. And then the last one, which is number 10, that I came across in the last week was what I have termed the lob. So imagine a ball or even, I don't know what you want, what you want to imagine, but something being thrown in the air and it either lands on the ground or you catch it. If you haven't caught it and it's landed on the ground, then you pick it up. But we'll get clearer on that shortly. Take the steps to identify where you have patterns in your communication that you may feel frustrated about, that you may find limiting, you might even get angry about, or where you shut yourself down, or where you feel an energy battle. And then look at the process, look at the reasons why that process is unfolding between you and the other person. So look at what's happening for them, what's happening for you, and look at the impacts of that pattern. And then what are the steps you can take to unravel it? And I do put it out there that the other person that you're interacting with is receptive to working with you, so you both gain benefits from it. So let's kick in and look at the turn it on its head. Now this is where you share some information about a situation or a topic that's important to you. And you may be giving the person feedback around something that has gone on in your interaction with them and that has had a level of an impact on you or that you just want to share with them to clarify some things. But it's important to you and you may even feel really strongly about it or it's just a focus that you want to explore. My friend a couple of months ago asked to listen to something I'd recorded and that was really cool because I just created it and I was very excited about it and it was something that was important to me and I value this person's feedback, I value their opinion. A couple of months later I realized that I'd never heard anything from her so in a conversation that we had I asked her if she'd listened to what I'd sent to her and the reason I asked was If she had, I'd love to hear what she thought. If she hadn't, then there has been sometimes a bit of a pattern where she's committed to doing something and hasn't done it, and I haven't found out too much later, and it's always taken me asking. Well, I'm a believer that, hey, look, if you don't get around to it, that's fine. I don't have an expectation of you actually listening to it or reading it. However, let me know that you're not going to or that you didn't get to because then I just can close off the energy. While someone's asked for something or asked or offered to do something 
and it's not completed, there's still a level of energy exchange that's open between the two people that has not been closed off. And I like things to be completed so that I'm not carrying around anything additional that doesn't need to be carried, i.e. energy. This person is someone I know extremely well. I hadn't spoken to her for a little while. And the immediate responses I got from her were, I haven't listened to it. And then I started being told that, quite emotively, that she has lots and lots of expectations put on her and she can't live up to everybody's expectations. And then she started sharing a whole lot about herself and where she's at. I was confused because I did not expect her to listen to it. She asked to listen to it. I did not have an expectation of it. I was curious if she had, and if she hadn't, then that was okay. So why was I receiving all of this information that she was sharing back at me? And then she proceeded to compare listening to what I'd done to a long process that she hasn't been addressing because of the time and the energy that it was going to take and where she's at physically. I was confused because why are you comparing basically apples with pears, essentially? And what I experienced in the situation is the turn it on its head process, where I asked something quite simple that was important to me, so I could let it go or get feedback if she had listened to it. But the process had got turned on its head and now it became all about her what she'd been going through, what she was feeling and what she was experiencing with other people. So the essence of where the conversation started had got quite diluted and lost. The focus which was on had she listened to what I had recorded had suddenly become all about where she was at, what was going on for her and her being understood. From my experience when I've done this, Part of the reason why suddenly it's become all about me and where I'm at is that I am coming up with reasons for why I have or haven't done something. And where I'm at with regards to my emotional processing of things that I haven't been addressing. And they all became blended and merged into one. And the poor person on the other end ends up not even having their conversation completed or even being acknowledged or apology being given to them. In my case, I'd made a commitment that I hadn't fulfilled and it was something important to the other person. It's the processing of guilt. Guilt and the feeling responsible for doing or not doing what you committed to. But we're not really taking responsibility for it when we start justifying. When we start complicating, making more of the reasons why we haven't done something, justification's a way of trying to vindicate that you're actually right in what you did or didn't do. They're not actually owning in the simplicity of it that, sorry, no, I didn't get around to listening to it, or it was too overwhelming to listen to it. That's cool. That's all it needed in the exchange so that it could be completed off and finished, and then we could move on. And if then my friend wanted to share how she was feeling, then that's a completely different process from where we started. 
when we turn it on its head, the conversation, what we're doing to the other person and my situation, that other person was me, was I felt unheard. I didn't feel understood. And the pastor would have felt really hurt by the whole situation. But I wasn't feeling that. I was just like, why am I hearing all of this other information? How is this relevant to what I've asked and relevant to me? So you end up with a mishmash of misunderstanding and going down a pathway and a a walkway which has nothing to do with where things originally started. There will be a linkage, but it becomes a really distant one. And that creates distance, it creates, it can create resentment and even disdain between the two people. How do you unravel the turn it on its head? As I've said, it takes two people to be aware of it. Because ultimately, if it's only one of you, then it's about how you react and respond in the situation and how you can do that differently. Now, one of the things I have committed to at the moment is to not engage in those types of conversations. This is an option that I have not explored before and I want to know that I'm able to do it so I can look at other options and have choices in any moment. That does not mean that I don't respect or don't want to listen to the other person. It is just a way and an approach that I'm taking. Now where you've got two people who are prepared to work together, how you can unravel it is when a person shares something like my example, the other person I would encourage to listen and understand the person who's sharing's point of view and what they're saying. And if you have emotions triggered around it, then bring that up after you've finished this conversation because you want to honour and respect what the person has said to you. In that process, if you have got emotions come up, especially guilt, then there's something that you did or didn't do that you have an opportunity to learn from. So identify what that is. Identify in brief why you actually did or didn't do what you did. And I say brief because the other processing sitting underneath your reasoning is stuff that you can talk about separately or go away and work with yourself. The moment you start going in depth into all of that, you're getting into justification, which can trigger more emotion and misunderstanding in the relationship and is a different process. You want to keep it simple, direct and work with it effectively. When you own what you did or didn't do, apologize. But in the apology, make sure you're very clear on what it is you're apologizing for. Do not apologize unless you are prepared to actually do something differently about it. You want to learn. You want to see the opportunity for you to grow. Otherwise, if you apologize and you keep repeating the same thing, then you're lying to yourself and lying to the other person. So in this scenario, I would rather my friend not offer, or if she does offer and she doesn't get around to it and doesn't do it, then just let me know. It's really simple and easy. I will not feel hurt. I will not be upset. I will love the fact that you are respecting and honoring me and yourself. Well, number seven, the turn it around. And as I said, this is where a person then blames you. So we're there at fault, 
but you end up being the one made responsible for what they did, which is really weird. <laughs> and it's very similar and close to the turn it on its head, but it's different. So this is when you ask if you can talk through something with someone or give them feedback about an interaction you've had with them, an interaction that has impacted you. You've both contributed to the situation, but they don't or they choose not to hear this or see it. Rather, they don't want to actually deal with it, so they project it onto you as though you're responsible for what's going on. They get defensive, they have an emotional reaction, they cover up their own guilt and responsibility and flip it around and blame you and make you responsible. One of the patterns that happens between my dearly beloved Alan and I is I shared in the last episode the pushback and that is something that actually he's been brilliant at working on with me and we've both been doing really well with that one. But previously he has pushback which then I have reacted to his pushback and he will then at some point apologize for pushing back but say in the process, well, if you hadn't have done blah, blah, blah. So essentially, it's still my fault because I reacted to his pushback. I'm to blame for his pushback in the first place. Ooh, not quite sure how that works, but he manages to make it work. So we're still working on that part of the process. The key in that situation is for both parties to own what their reactions are, own what they are apologizing for and sorry, and not say anything more. It's as simple as that. Instead, we get into this power blame process. That's such a waste of energy. And yet when you take responsibility for what you know you did or didn't do that was wrong, you're actually standing in your power because you're owning you. And in truly owning you, you're connecting more to the power at the core of you and saying, this is what I can now do differently. And it's not based on how I feel about anyone else or what anyone else says or does. That's powerful. But when you turn around and blame the other person and continue to do that, then you dilute all of that process. And the chances are, the pattern's not going to change. Another brief example of the turn it around and blame me one <laughs> is on the odd occasion, and she's not going to like me bringing this up because mum goes, I feel uncomfortable when you talk about family things. <laughs> but on the odd occasion, when I start talking to mum about an issue that's impacting, that needs resolving, one that possibly she's been stressing about, which then influences how she communicates which then creates stress potentially on me at times because, yeah, mum's one of my areas where I'm still so strongly emotionally attached and I care about it and I don't want to see her stressed. But mum will come back to me and say, you're stressing me out right now. You're stressing me out. Okay, so now it's my fault. So how did your stress that's impacting me that I'm bringing up to address now is now my fault that you're stressing out when you're already stressed. See how crazy all of this gets, guys? So 
the reason why we do these things. We don't want to take full responsibility for our actions. We don't want to own our truth. We don't want to face ourselves. And yet, the more you do it, the easier it is. The more you move through these processes, change them, and stand in your power and make different choices. It's far more powerful and easier. Oh, this one. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Number eight, I am irrelevant. As I said, it's similar to the hello, which is number nine. However, they are different. Here's a couple of things. Have you ever been asked how you are? And you respond by saying, I'm really unwell at the moment. And you've received back a thumbs up. Or you've responded with, I'm not very good at the moment. And you've got no response from the person. Or... They say, oh, that's great, and they carry on. And you're sitting there going, oh, what? It's great that I'm not feeling very well, and you think it's thumbs up and wonderful that I'm unwell? Or you think it's great that I'm not feeling very good? Hmm. Or they just start carrying on and talking about something and don't even give you a response, and yet they asked you a question. Or they change the subject and start talking about something completely different. Have you ever experienced someone asking you, so what have you been doing? And you reply, and you get absolutely no response, and they say nothing about what you shared. They've got no opinion, no thought, and it's like, why did I even share that, and why did you even ask me it? Or after you've got no response, you then say to them, um, did you hear what I said? And they go, what do you want me to say? Oh my gosh, they were the ones that asked me in the first place. This gets really complicated, really messy, and almost dumbfounded is how I feel when this happens. Because I even have people, friends and family, who will ask about everyone in my family, but not about me. Or they ring up and they just talk at me. And they talk all about how they're feeling, what's happening for them, where they're at, and I'm not even asked, how are you? There have been periods in my life where I possibly have done this, but this isn't one that I'm really conscious of. And I have a beautiful example of a friendship where this exchange happens totally differently. There's never even been this pattern because the receptivity and the connection between the two of us and our respect and honoring of each other is so powerful. And I will say, Alan and I are very aware of and naturally, evenly, maybe not in my earlier days, maybe it was more about me than him, but we very evenly care about and listen to and ask questions about each other because we're interested. Oh boy, what are the reasons why people do this? What are the reasons why people will ask you questions, not respond or respond with really unusual and bizarre and dumbfounding ways, leaving the person feeling like they are irrelevant, what they have to say means nothing to them? Why did they even ask the question in the first place? So it's like they're paying lip service to the process. The reasons often are because people often do not 
really listen to or read other people's responses. They can be so absorbed in their own processing that in some cases they're not even aware they've asked the question. And that absorption in their processing is they're absorbed in the emotional processing that's going on, all the self-talk and the chatter that's going on inside of them. And probably they're wanting to actually talk to you or me in this case, about what is happening for them, and they're feeling a level of duty to ask, or there's a conditioned habit of asking how you are, but they're not connected to it at all. I'm a believer, don't ask a question unless you actually genuinely want to understand and know the answer. Otherwise, just don't ask it. Then there are situations where if a person doesn't respond to someone being sick or not feeling good, it's possibly because they are feeling vulnerable about how you're feeling. They have a level of emotional dependency on you and need you to be strong and need you to be together. And the moment you're not, they feel vulnerable. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to deal with it. Then there are people who are in very high need and so caught up in that neediness where they do actually only ring you to talk through what is happening for them. They may even be using you, either consciously or unconsciously. They may be so conditioned in the pattern of interaction, of only focusing on themselves, that they're not even aware that that's what they're doing. And then there are people who think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. You have your shit together. There's nothing wrong. So... They don't need to reply to what you've said because they know you've got it. But that still doesn't value you. That still doesn't respect you as a person. And it actually doesn't respect you, the fact that they've asked a question and then they're not responding. (sighs) The joys of complexity in our relationships and communication. What's the impact? Well, in the past, this used to cut me deep. I used to have lots of feelings of hurt and rejection surface. And I'd be like, see, I'm of no value, I'm irrelevant, I'm insignificant, I'm not important. Those are all signs of impacts on one's self-worth. But it was also signs that that's the lack of self-worth that I had in me that I was seeing it in those terms as well. I would also feel like, well, what the hell are you even asking me for if you don't even want to respond to me? Then there were times I would think, you could not even give an F about me, could you? I'd also feel like they were using me. I would also feel like they were a self-absorbed individual, which in a number of cases, a lot of those people are. And I would also shut down and distance myself. Why? It hurts when you do that to someone else. So how do you unravel this? If you ask a person a question, as I said before, ask it because you genuinely want to know and you want to understand. And listen to their response. Give the person the time, the attention and the ears and the eyes if you're sitting face to face with them. Give them that respect. Otherwise, don't ask the question. I mentioned before that I have a beautiful relationship, a beautiful friendship. 
where this has never, ever, ever even been part of our interaction. We balance checking in with each other and it just is mutual, fluid, free flow of energy and exchange of that connection. I will ask my friend questions about where she's at, how her family is, but I also ask further questions and I give responses based on what she shares. And then when we've explored an array of areas of her life and the people in her life, depending on the time, then she will ask how I am and next time means I want to hear all about you. Or if we've got time, we'll explore me. And if we run out of time, then absolutely the next conversation, explore where I'm at and what I've been experiencing and where my family's at. But to truly listen to another person, it requires you to stop listening to yourself. For you to actually let go what you're thinking and processing is and give focus totally to the other person. Okay, number nine, the hello, hello. This is one of my favorites and it's because I have been around so many reflective processes and I just love reflective processes. Being an expressive processor myself, it means I verbalize my processing and and I can be very fast-paced in my thinking and my decision-making, whereas a reflective processor absorbs the information and takes the time to process through the information internally. So rather than externalizing their processing, they're internalizing it. Because for them to respond, it needs to feel right before they say anything. As I mentioned, I've had lots of friends and lots of people I have worked with and interacted with through reflectives. But the person who stands out the most where I identified this pattern and committed to really honoring his process in it was Alan. I'd shared some information and I'd asked him some questions and I got no response. And I realized this happened a few times to me with him and the previous times I hadn't said much. And this time I said, hello, still no response. Hello, did you hear me? And I even repeated what I'd said. And Alan was still absorbed on whatever he was thinking. The impact on me was old patterns of conditioning of mind that surface. See, I'm irrelevant. See, no one listens to me. And look, Alan's not even interested in what I have to say. But Alan then turned to me and said, I heard what you said and what you asked and I'm just processing it. The moment he said that, it took me right back to a time where the second group I ever trained was a group full of reflectives. But I didn't really understand what a reflective was at that stage. And I spent five days asking them questions, getting virtually no responses at all. But I would get very well thought through, very deep responses from them an hour or even four hours later because they'd gone away and they'd processed through and given absolute consideration, attention and respect to what had been said and what had been asked of them. 
The hello is actually a very respectful process, but what can make it even more powerful is unraveling the non-responsiveness and that bit of confusion that can happen. I can be more aware and understanding that the person is reflective and they are processing and just check that out if I need to. And the person who is reflective could say, I've heard what you've said and I just want to process what you said and then I'll come back to you with an answer. And then it's really simple and easy and everybody knows where they're at and what's happening. And now for the last of the limiting relationship patterns of communication for unraveling. Number 10, the lob. As I described it earlier in this episode, it is where a ball of responsibility is lobbed into the air, waiting for someone to catch it, or if they don't, and it falls to the ground, for someone to pick it up after it's landed. This is where a person wants something done for them, and they lob or throw out a statement of what they can't do, or what they need to do, or what would be nice to have happen. They throw out a task or responsibility, and as I said, they wait for someone to catch it or pick it up off the ground once it's landed. The person is conditioned to not be direct, or is consciously not being direct, and if that's the case, then there's a level of what potentially is emotional manipulation going on here. Maybe not intentionally, more conditioned. This is what a friend of my mother's calls the little old lady syndrome, where they have an incredible way of getting people to do things for them, which has an emotional basis to it. It's not directly asked, but it's thrown out there, and people, through their neediness, rush to rescue and help. It is a form of helplessness, and also they are needing to be rescued and be given attention. So it's things where you might have someone say to you, I have to get round to moving that chair. I wish I could move that chair. And they're physically not able to do it, and they know everybody knows that. Or they say, I haven't been able to sort out Netflix on my TV. I wish I could get Netflix operating on my TV. And they don't have the technical capability to do it. And everyone knows it. Why throw out the lob? Why not be direct and say, can you please move that chair for me? Or, or can you please help me get Netflix going on the TV? The reasoning is conditioning. Possibly they were told as they were growing up that they're being a nuisance taking up time, or disturbing people when they ask for help or ask for things to be done. Some people learn to believe it's rude to ask for help. Some believe it's a loss of independence or a weakness to ask for help. They don't want to be a nuisance, they don't want to disturb the person, and some people don't ask because what if the person says no? Then they'll feel rejected. What is the impact of the lob? Well, it buys into people's neediness. People feel of value when they rescue, when they help people. You can feel disrespected and taken for granted because essentially the person knows you're going to help, 
knows you're going to either catch or pick up that lob off the ground. And you're actually not being asked directly and not being given a choice. Because if you don't catch the lob and you don't pick it up, then you're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel responsible for the person. Because indirectly, guilt is being imposed on you. Because how are you going to feel if that person has to move the chair on their own in the end? Or the chair's not moved? Or that they can't get Netflix? Or that they continue to struggle with trying to get Netflix on their TV? This whole process of interaction is such a waste of time and energy because it can go round and round and round in circles. And there's a very simple way to unravel it. Make the process easy. Asking people for help is saying they have a choice and they are entitled to say yes and they're entitled to also say no. But at least respect their choice. And asking for help is coming from a place of power where you're saying, I'm not able to do this on my own at this point in time, and I do need help, and I deserve the help. So it comes from a place of self-worth. It's far more powerful in your interactions to have that type of process happening. For the person who normally throws out the lob, don't do so. Make it simple and easy by being direct and asking for help. If the person does go back into the lob mode, then the person who normally picks it up or catches the lob, you have some options. You can say nothing and see what unfolds because that would change the process and the pattern. You can say, I'm really sorry that you can't move the chair at the moment. I'm really sorry you can't get Netflix up on your TV. Or you can say to them, so what can you do about it if you're not able to do it? This is encouraging them to take responsibility for looking at what their options and choices are rather than you rescuing them. Or one of the responses I often give is, so what do you want to ask me? But even in saying that at a level I'm rescuing them because I'm supporting them to ask me questions directly rather than them taking responsibility for just doing so. But they're all steps in our process of unraveling these limiting relationship patterns of communication. Well, that's a wrap. That's all of the 10 patterns. I hope they've been of value for you and being able to explore those processes and how you can unravel them. Because I know our communication can be far more powerful, far more fluid, far easier than what it is and simpler than what it is. And our relationships can flourish from it. If you identify any patterns yourself, give them a name, work out what the process is, work out what the reasonings are for both parties in keeping this pattern going, and what the impacts are, and look at what are some of the steps you can take to unravel them. I'd love to hear about some of them if you do. So drop me a line at melinda at imakeadifferenceimad.com. Until our next episode, keep making a beautiful, magical difference to you. Keep strengthening that connection to your soul self. 
and keep allowing yourself to release anything that's limiting you from being who you truly are.